Welcome to the Wait and Speak podcast. I'm your host, Rikuir Wait. In today's episode, I speak to Stefan Stein. He has a PhD in pharmacology and neuroscience and is a senior lecturer in pharmacology at Northeast University in Potchefstroom. And without further ado, here's the interview. Stefan, welcome to the Wait and Speak podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you for having me. So, Stefan, I look forward to uh, speaking to you about antibiotic resistance. Uh, but before we get into the background and, and some of the discussion points, uh, just a dis- disclaimer for our listeners, please note that this discussion is for information purposes only and it doesn't constitute medical advice. Please consult your doctor for any medical advice you may need. Um, so a background to our discussion today, antibiotics are a core tool of modern medicine. Um, however, the emergence of antibiotic resistance is a growing concern. And that's why we're talking about this issue today. According to the World Health Organization, antibiotic resistance is one of the biggest threats to global health, food security and development. A growing number of infections are becoming harder to treat as the antibiotics used to treat them becomes less, efe- less effective. Uh, this resistance leads to longer hospital stays, higher medical costs, and of course, increased mortality. So Stefan, um, in the pre-antibiotic era of the early 1900s, simple bacterial infections were, the, were most often lethal. Um, and with antibiotics, uh, the situation changed. Uh, can you please give us a bit of a background around the history of antibiotics and uh, around the benefits that came with the adoption of this um, in, in medicine and how this has evolved over time. Sure. So the, most of us are familiar with Alexander Fleming, the discoverer of penicillin. Now, as a young lieutenant during the First World War, Alexander was devastated by the number of deaths resulting from non-fatal wounds, which ultimately led him to make his world-famous discovery in 1929. Yet it was not until 1944 when penicillin was first introduced and used in large clinical effective dosages. Um, But at the beginning of the 20th century, another researcher, Paul Ulrich, already hypothesized the idea of a magic bullet that could selectively target disease-causing microbes without affecting the host. And in 1909, him and his team synthesized a molecule that was effective against Treponema pallidum, the organism responsible for the sexually transmitted infection syphilis. Now, interestingly, the molecule that Ulrich and his team discovered was only the 600th compound that they tested. Now, this tedious process of molecule testing became the cornerstone of modern-day drug discovery, partly explaining the lack of novel discoveries in recent years. Nevertheless, Other antibacterial classes followed the discovery of the penicillins, including the sulfonamides, tetracyclines, and the fluoroquinolones. Now, basically, the golden era of antibacterial drug discovery can be seen as between the 1950s and 70s. And since then, most antibacterial drugs introduced to the market are generally only improvements on already existing compounds and not novel discoveries. Now, the implication of this is that resistance towards these improved molecules are already observed within a year or two after formulation. Due to this time-consuming process of approving a drug for commercial use, some of these novel compounds have been approved, for instance, in 2017, but resistance was already documented in 2012. Now, with regards to the use of antibiotics um, and how their use have, has evolved over time, I experience this quick fix reality that we live in today, 
with drive through meals, online shopping, and even deep muscle stimulation exercises to, also, to have also infiltrate the healthcare system where patients and prescribers will easily take antibiotics just to speed up recovery and feel better a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. So I think you've, you've already um, touched on my next question, but maybe you can elaborate a bit more. Um, is, you know, what, what exactly does antibiotic resistance entail? I think you spoke about um, the golden era of, of discovery and how uh, development of antibiotics has basically just been an evolution um, from the 70s. Um, but what does the problem um, really entail? And then what are some of the drivers behind this resistance? So a lot of people talk about antibiotic um, resistance, um, but I prefer the term antimicrobial resistance as this includes bacteria, virus, and fungi, as all these organisms can and have developed resistance towards drugs. But to answer your question, resistance in terms of bacteria is basically the ability of the organism to withstand the attack launched against it by the antibiotic drug. Now, to give a simple example, penicillins basically weaken the cell of the bacteria, causing intracellular leakage and then ultimately cell death. Now, with improper use, which can basically be an over and under use of antibiotics, the bacteria learn how these drugs work and then develop mechanisms to limit its effectiveness. These mechanisms can include the development of efflux pumps, which basically removes the drug from the bacteria, or it can just alter the the target enzyme of the drug. Now, another important term to note is um, class resistance. And this is a major concern. Now, this is where an organism develops resistance against one specific drug, but also becomes resistant to the entire class of drugs acting on the same target. As referred to, one of the key drivers behind antimicrobial resistance is the way that we use these drugs. Often there's actually no need for antibiotics, yet we are still prescribed these drugs, or even worse, um, we insist that our doctors prescribe them to us. Um, On this note, a small study in the US found that doctors who prescribe antibiotics were more likely to receive five-star ratings where the ones who were more reluctant to prescribe received only a one or two star rating. Another driver um, can also be the use of antibiotics in agriculture, where the animals are treated with antibiotics and then the products, often the meat, find their way back to the patients. Hmm. And, and Stefan, um, so, so I think you've, you've, you've summed it up well. The other one, I think in a previous discussion you and I had, you also mentioned besides besides just antimicrobial resistance to uh, antibiotics, the human body is also becoming resistant. Could, could you maybe touch on that? Yes. So um, from from a, a, a biological point of view, our bodies also adapt to any kind of drug influence or insult. Um, and the, the side effects that we see from these antibiotics then also cause um, patients to not use or to shorten the, the prescribed time um, of the, the antibiotic cause. And then that could also lead to um, resistance. Hmm. But, it, but it definitely sounds like there's really a lot of behavioral aspects to the problem. It's not just the, 
a question of research and development. It's also about how we use um, uh, these medicines. Um, definitely. So, yeah, that, that's definitely interesting. Well, then delving into this, if, if we say that things just carry on as normal, um, what would you think a post-pandemic era could look like, assuming per pervasive antibiotic resistance ultimately renders antibiotics useless? So I imagine a post-antibiotic era very similar to a Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings world, um, not with orcs or dragons, but a world mm -hmm. where even the most basic of infections can have fatal consequences. Um, for instance, I imagine such a world where a flesh wound from a thorn or a piece of metal will not be something that we just shrug off with an ointment and plaster, but where this develops into an abscess, fever, and then possibly death. A post-antibiotic world could also be a place where very similar to advanced, um, advanced cancer, where, um, where we only treat the symptoms, but we can't do anything about the end result. Then another thing that bothers me about a post-antibiotic world is the possibility where common surgeries such as cesarean sections and might have fatal consequences and even organ transplants and might be something that disappears. So it's definitely high stakes um, in terms of not doing anything and um, I think it's not a world that any of us would want to live in. Very, very high. Um, I think as long as this problem stays something out of your social circles, it, it won't bother you. But if you were to have a relative um, infected with a resistant bacteria and you get the results that none, none of the available drugs can treat this patient, that, that really hits home. Mm. Yeah, I know. That, that's what led me to do this podcast um, episode as well. As, um, when I read up about it and heard about it, it's, uh, you know, it, it really is something concerning and to be aware of. Um, then, speaking to solutions, Stefan, what do you see as the role of pharmaceutical R&D funding and then broader investment and incentives for developing new antibiotic compounds? As you mentioned, most of the current drugs are simply, um, in, if I can you know, in layman's terms, uh, evolution of original products. Um, what, what, what is the scope around that? Um, you know, to develop new types of antibiotic compounds that can counter antibiotic resistance. But obviously, it's no use we develop those if we can't change people's behavior as well. Exactly, exactly. Um, so basically, the role of the pharmaceutical companies and the R&D section is, is vital and it's key to counter the antimicrobial resistance. But unfortunately, because of the mentioned time-consuming processes to deliver quality controlled and safe-to-use drugs to the market, Numerous pharmaceutical companies have downed their tools in, in, these, um, in the area of antimicrobial development. But on the flip side, several pharmaceutical companies have all jumped into the race to develop treatment and or vaccines for the current COVID-19 pandemic, which could suggest mm. financial incentive or gain as partial motivator. Um, but I think the, the time-consuming and the financial gain or the lack thereof in general antibiotic development is, is a major concern. Mm. And, and I think the, the development you just mentioned now um, around the COVID-19 um, research is definitely a model that, that I think um, the industry should consider for antibiotics, um, you know, and taking some, you know, applying some foresight to cause 
again, um, if we leave this, this can be a, a great challenge in the future as well. And it's better to start doing this type of collaboration work now than once we are past um, a point of, of return, as, um, as it were. Definitely, definitely. Hmm. Um, Stefan, and then linked to this now, um, we've, we've touched on it uh, somewhat. What are some of the broader collaborations globally that, that you see? Um, is, there, is there that type of collaboration at some, in, to some extent um, where they focus on, on, on this threat? Yes. So the, the, probably the, the best known would be the, the World Health Organization, which, have, um, which has a, a global program monitoring antimicrobial resistance. But the problem is that the um, accurate data from developing countries and Africa as a continent is, is in general still lacking. Um, but other organizations and institutes such as hospitals and um, international bodies all have launched in-house antimicrobial stewardship programs aimed at educating healthcare professionals and even patients about the optimal use of these drugs, which I would encourage anyone to, to have a look at. Mm. Okay, well, that, that's at least good to hear that there's some movement in that, that space. Um, then something else which is a, a more positive, uh, Stefan, it's a research that you shared with me uh, by MIT, uh, where they've identified a powerful new antibiotic compound using an AI deep learning model. Uh, please tell us a bit more about this research and the potential for using uh, machine learning in developing new compounds. Yeah, so this is very exciting and groundbreaking work. Um, the drug that they discovered is Hallison, and as mentioned, was discovered with artificial intelligence. So basically, a computer model screened thousands of molecules against various bacterial scenarios until it developed a molecule that would theoretically not be affected by any known or predicted resistance mechanisms. Now, when tested against problematic pathogens, halogen, Hallison proved effective in killing these organisms. But what is most exciting is that usually we observe resistance against a novel compound within two days, yet resistance towards halicin was not observed even after 30 days. Now, antimicrobial resistance is basically a game of leapfrog, where the winner is determined by the one who can take the greatest leap. And as a dynamic or ever-evolving process, microbes will always have the advantage over man-made drugs just because they have experience on their side and adapt so much faster than what our science and quality control processes allow us to develop. Mm. And as I always tell my students, experience will beat knowledge nine out of 10 times. And, and bacteria have been at this game millennia longer than us so that their experience is far greater than our knowledge. So now by introducing mm. AI into the battle, should give us the advantage of staying one move ahead of the microbes. Mm, that is awesome. Um, Stefan, then linked to this um, idea of, of using technology, nanotechnology is another potential tool in this fight. Uh, what are some of the developments in that space? Yeah, also an exciting aspect. Um, and the nanotechnology is largely based on drug delivery, where we, where we will be able to target specifically um, or to specifically target antimicrobials and administer drugs at very lower doses, yielding the same therapeutic effect. Now, this will entail mm -hmm. that we will be able to simultaneously reduce side effects associated with these drugs. 
Another advantage would be that these drugs could be delivered into the microbe itself, thereby bypassing normal uptake of the drug and eliminating potential resistance development. Stefan, thank you. And and then what other supportive options do we have, you know, outside of just drug development? Um, for example, uh, this requirements for dispens dispensing antibiotics. So all and any antibiotics or antimicrobials must, according to the South African law, be dispensed with, with a prescription. However, this is not the case in many countries and areas across the world and in our own country. Um, other supportive measures would be to have an open discussion with your healthcare professional as the majority of conditions will improve without antibiotic um, use and we are able to manage them by treating the symptoms um, but you need to have a, 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 um, a relationship and understanding with your healthcare professional. Okay. No, so definitely, as, as we said at the start, always consult your doctor or medical care professional. Um, don't just um, go on your own in no. these, these matters. It's not wise. Um, Stefan, but, but then just again, for, for someone that's interested to learn more about this topic, are there any specific books or re other resources that you could recommend for our listeners that want to learn more? So there's numerous podcasts and videos available on the internet to listen to. Um, but I would urge people to just Google free online antimicrobial stewardship programs. Um, these would basically just open their minds to how to optimally use antimicrobials and should make them realize the urgency of making informed decisions regarding antibiotic use. In this COVID time, um, we have all become accustomed to washing our hands. Now, this isn't a Nobel prize um, discovery of the 21st century. In fact, it's still one of the most effective ways to reduce infection spread. It's just something that we've not given attention to because of the quick fix of antibiotics. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so I think it's definitely also something, you know, it's, 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 it, it links back to our habits. Yes. Um, the, 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 the role of medicine to treat uh, problems, but then our behavior is also quite important in managing the bigger picture. Definitely. Um, our behavior with, with, with proper behavior and hygiene, hygiene um, habits, we'll be able to decrease our infection rate significantly. Well, Stefan, thank you so much. It be, it's been great speaking to you. Um, I've certainly learned a lot more about this topic um, and hopefully the advances in AI and other areas um, and global collaboration um, and also the lessons from the current COVID-19 pandemic can all work together um, you know, to change the situation um, and, and for, for the industry to, to tackle and for, our, for us ourselves in terms of our behavior to tackle this problem and, and find meaningful solutions. So thank you again. Uh, thank you, Rikwe. Thank you for having me and thank you for allowing me to chat on something that I feel passionate about. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, happy listening.